This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Mornings with Simi on 980 CKNW. Have you tried to buy a car lately? I mean, go buy a dealership and you'll see pretty limited inventory. So maybe you think, well, a used car is the way to go. Except the market for used cars has also been upended. Remember how we used to say, as soon as you drove a car off the lot, it depreciated in value? Well, that is not the case anymore. This craziness is something the current affairs show The New Reality is looking into this week. And for more on that, we're joined by correspondent Mike Drolig. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. How are you doing today? I am good, thank you. So let's talk about this, because I feel this is like craziness that we've never seen before. What is going on in the used car market? Well, you know, you, you mentioned that, that old adage, you know, you lose your value of your car as soon as you drive it off a lot. Well, you know, where you hear so many stories now about people who buy a brand new car and they've ordered it because you don't buy them anymore because it takes so long to get them. And then as soon as you go to pick them up, dealers are saying, you know what, do you really want this? We'll give you $5,000 not to take it because they can sell it for more and then it's sort of a you know everything trickles down and uh, in the used car market there's just not a supply anymore so you know that this the the prices have gone up 48 percent in the last year it's it's out of this world and you talk to car people and they go the, the economics are they're, it's a like bizarro world everything is backwards it seems it really is. And it's also the way we buy cars has changed too, hasn't it? Because uh, people, more and more people are doing it without ever setting foot in a dealership. Well, yeah. I mean, well, the, uh, I mean, every industry has had to change with the pandemic and the auto industry, I guess, is, is no, uh, is no unicorn there. It, it just, it has to. So you have a lot of dealers who've actually started putting, they realized that consumers didn't want to come into their dealerships. So they started going to them. They put their cars online, they're delivering online you know, there's also a company called uh, Clutch Canada, which, you know, it started up in 2016 at a few hundred sales a year. Now they're up thousands of sales a year. They're, they touch 50% of the country, and everything is online. You don't, they take pictures of everything. You know what you're getting. So, I mean, you might not be able to drive it, test drive it, but everything else is there. And they're just assuming people already know how the car drives. And, uh, and, they, they have very few cars returned, so I guess it does work. But, I mean, this is the future of, um, of car sales, for sure. Okay, and so what did you find in doing this piece for the new reality? So in the used car market, is there even availability? Like, what's, what's out there? Well, you see, that's the problem. Um, the way it works is this. I mean, people say, well, how is it that there's, there aren't a lot of used cars? Well, it starts with, with the new cars. Um, if the manufacturers, which had microchip issues a few years ago, and now it's supply chains because of a lot of different things, the pandemic, the, the war in Europe, uh, you know, uh, issues with China, whatever it is, there's supply chain issues. They can't get the parts, so they can't deliver the cars. Two of the main places where people get, where um, used car dealers get their inventory are leases and rental cars. And if people can't return their leases because there's no new car to get into, they're not going to give up their lease. 
and the rental cars aren't turning over their inventory because they don't have new cars to be able to replace them. So that's a huge, huge loss for the used car industry. People are still selling their cars, and that's where you know, you're seeing this massive increase in, in prices. So, I mean, we, we spoke to this one dealer who had a used car. Uh, he had a Dodge Ram um, in 2020. He wasn't sure how the pandemic was going to go. He thinks he sold it at a bit of a loss at uh, $43,000. Uh, he sold it to a guy who drove it back and forth to the United States for a year, put 80,000 kilometers on the car, on this, on this Dodge Ram. He returned it a year later to sell back to the dealership, and he sold it for $45,000. What? Yeah, I know, it doesn't make sense. So then the dealership, they need inventory, because that's why they're paying these, these prices. So he's got the inventory, but then a dealership in Toronto calls him and says, you know what, We'd let, we want that Dodge Ram. And he goes, well, I need the inventory, so I'm not selling it to you. He goes, we'll give you 50000 for it. So he sold it again for $50,000. Again, it, it, it doesn't make sense, and that's the market right now. It just, it, it's really, it's, you think, okay, well, how do you explain it? Well, you really can't explain it because... For anybody who's had any sort of training whatsoever, or even just understands economics in the least, it doesn't make sense. Can it last? I mean, have you talked to people about that? What do people in the industry think? Well, they think it's going it, to, nothing's going to change for this year, at least. It's going to probably, hopefully, improve next year, but it all depends on supply chain. It all depends on if the manufacturers are able to get their inventory up, and then everything, again, trickles down. But you're not going to see any change in the, in the near future. If you're out in the market for a car, chances are, uh, you know, it's, it's rare to say this, but it's, it's actually a seller's market, and it's going to be a seller's market for, for the near future. All right. I look forward to seeing more on the new reality. Mike, thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. It's Mike Drelle, correspondent for Global News and also on the new reality. Now, that show can be seen Saturdays uh, at 8 Eastern time, so 5 o'clock Pacific on Global. It can be streamed anytime, though, on the Global TV app, so check that out. The car thing is just, it's wild, right? I mean, we never usually think of cars as an appreciating asset. We think of something of it as a depreciating asset, and that has completely been turned upside down. And also the proliferation of buying cars without ever seeing them at the dealership or even test driving them. That, to me, is one that really blows my mind. But lots of actually car dealer, car makers, I should say, are going in this direction. In fact, Volvo, there's certain models where you can only get them online now. You order them through the website and then you go and pick them up. And I guess, you know what? Some people are comfortable with ordering that car online and having it show up at their house without ever setting foot in a dealership. Does that appeal to you? Or do you still need to Go there, see it, get behind the wheel, see what it feels like. I'm, I'm kind of that person. What about you? Simi at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. Increasingly, we're hearing about the phasing out of natural gas usage. That's something that's been talked about by the city of Vancouver. Is there a way, though, to make our natural gas system more renewable and low carbon? Well, obviously, this would be a big deal if you could do that. It's something that Fortis BC has been working on. So Joe Mazza joins us now, Vice President of Gas Supply and Resource Development at Fortis BC. Joe, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you. Good morning, Simi. Happy Earth Day. It's great to be on your show. Well, thanks for doing this. So let's talk about this report that has come out about the potential here for renewable natural gas. Like, is there such a thing? 
Well, absolutely. Um, renewable gases and other renewable gases, they provide a, an option for our customers to decarbonize easily and affordably. And so we've, there's a tremendous potential here in BC with this report. Um, looking forward uh, to 2050, the potential there is to have up to 440 petajoules of available supply right here in BC. Just to put that in perspective, right now our current customers are using about 200 petajoules. So there's definitely ample supply out there. And that comes from organic sources. It can come from hydrogen. There is a vast array of, of, uh, of available renewable gas supply right here in BC. Okay, so what does that mean? Though? Like, Where do you get it from? Can you explain that process? Sure. So uh, renewable gases can come from organic sources. So, for example, from wastewater treatment facilities, from agricultural waste, uh, the green bin collection. Um, it can come from landfills. So that gets collected, it gets purified, and it can get ejected right into our gas distribution system. It blends in seamlessly. You don't have to change your appliances. And we can leverage the existing infrastructure that we have in place. So that's great. It can also come from hydrogen. Uh, it can be produced, and there's a significant hydrogen potential here in BC. Um, and that can come from electrolysis. It can come from uh, green energy. It can come even come from natural gas being produced into um, into hydrogen. So there's right. many, many ways to make it, and we're excited about the opportunity. Is there a race to kind of get this done, Joe, and like get this information out there? Because we do hear about these debates, right, that governments are having about, like, for instance, in the city of Vancouver, not having natural gas anymore for your stoves or for homes. Well, we're moving quickly. And uh, in fact, last year, we tripled our supply of, of renewable gas. This year, we expect to triple it again. And we're well. In fact, we're ahead of schedule for our targets for 2030. If you look at um, if you look at some of the bylaws, there we definitely have a solution. In fact, one of the solutions we have is to provide. We have an application in front of the BC Utilities Commissioner right now, and if approved, all new customers will receive 100% renewable gas um, as they get hooked up to the system, and we'll also blend in uh, that renewable gas into the existing network as we bring it on. So the supply is there. We're ramping it up quickly. And I'm very confident that we'll be able to meet the needs of our customers to decarbonize and to meet their sustainable energy goals. Now, I know that you can do this because I learned this last year and I tried to sign up for it, but I know you have a waiting list at current customers as well. You can ask to have your gas that comes to your house be renewable natural gas, right? That's correct. Right now under the voluntary program, uh, customers can elect to designate a percentage of their gas to be renewable. And, um, and in fact, that program was, um, because of, 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 of the excitement around it, we, um, we, temper, we, we reopened it, we, we, we broadened it again, and it's back open. And that's because mainly of our supply potential and all the supply that's been coming on stream. So uh, I encourage customers to take a look at that and see if you can look at you increasing the amount of renewable gas you have in your, in your, uh, in your service. So how easy, like, do you just go online, call Fortis? Like, what do you have to, what do? You have to do? Yeah, absolutely. Call Fortis BC. Um, there's a check the website. Uh, our, our customer service agents would be happy to help you, and we can uh, set you up with uh, with that renewable gas option. Great. Thanks so much, Joe. Thank you very much, Simi. That's Joe Mazza, Vice President, Gas Supply and Resource Development at Fortis BC. This is Mornings with Simi. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it? <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. 
That's shopify.com slash system. Oh, we know we broke quite a few weather records last year. That heat dome was not an easy thing to go through. It caused wildfires, a terrible strain on our healthcare system. So many people were impacted by that. And now we're kind of seeing the impact of it months later. It was also a challenge for wine growers, but a different kind of challenge, perhaps. So we thought we'd see what the impact has been like. Joining us now is Miles Proden, who's the CEO and president of the Wine Growers of British Columbia. Miles, thanks for being back with us. Uh, good morning. Thanks. To, nice to be here. Well, how is the wine crop looking right now? Well, the crop is just starting right now. It's just uh, it, it's uh, coming out of its uh, winter dormancy. But what we thought was important was to remind people, to your point, about the weather and all the other impacts uh, farmers uh, have going through this whole process from last year. So it's last year's vintage that's just going into the bottle now, and it's looking fantastic. Really? So, like, we all thought the heat dome would have such an impact on crops. What, what did it do to the grapes? Yeah, no, it, 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 what it did is it, it brought down the, the quantity. The quality is right up there, but with the, when the heat impacts grapes in a number of different ways, and what happens is really the plants shut down. They, they stop growing. Uh, they reduce their uh, draw on water, and so the berry size doesn't, doesn't get up there. And so what that translates to in the end is that the quantity is down, uh, and so we're short a little bit from where we had wanted to be. But fortunately, we had the good heat and uh, the right varying temperatures in har- during harvest and ripening. So that's what really affects the quality. So the quality is looking, is looking great. So again, we just wanted to get out and remind people that there was a heat dome, there were floods, there was frost, and that's nothing unusual when you're a farmer growing uh, a product here in B.C. But in the end, the product is as good as it's ever been and uh, needs to be celebrated. So vintage 2001 is looking fantastic. Wow. Okay. 2021. You said 2001 there for a second. Vintage 2021. 2021. (laughs) If you still got some of that around, it'll be good as well. No kidding. uh, 2021. Okay. So 2021 vintage looks fantastic. So are we talking like right across the board then, Miles? Because I understand that wildfire smoke also had an impact in some areas. Yeah, no, you're you're right. We've been having fires and uh, the impact of smoke for, uh, for a number of years now. And by the way, Unfortunately, we're not alone, as you can be reading about and hearing about in California and Australia. They've been dealing with that for a number of years. So we're getting sort of our, our science and, and growing techniques up to, up to speed on that. But it really matters only when there's specific conditions, specific smoke concentrations during specific growing periods of the grape and specific variety of grapes. So um, it really it really varies almost vineyard to vineyard. And uh, fortunately, what we do a lot of here because of the small size of our wineries is we hand pick. So people are in the in the vineyards picking their wine. So from the very start of the processing uh, uh, process, um, they can determine just what what the quantity of quality is going to be like, and if there was smoke or if there was heat damage. Um, so that handcrafted uh, really comes into play for uh, BC wines. Okay, so that means that you know what is produced for 2021 looks good. How do people know that though? Like, how do you find it? Well, like I've always been told, just look for the VQA. That's exactly right. Thanks for mentioning that. BCVQA is the symbol. That means uh, it has gone through a taste panel to look for faults. And it also guarantees that, most importantly, that's 100% BC. So BCVQA on the label means you're supporting a BC farm-growing family. How did the industry do then during the pandemic here, Miles? Because it was tough, um, you know, to have to adjust because there's a, wineries make money in so many different ways, including hosting people. Um, is that improving? 
Well, we're hoping it does. And now that some of the restrictions are uh, removed and uh, people are now welcome, well, they're always welcomed into the tasting room. It's just the amount of people that uh, we could have in there. But I think what that really did to me was it, it brought people's attention to the quality of the visit. Um, in the past, uh, there used to be, and it still is, an open-door policy to come and visit. But when we had the pandemic and those restrictions, a lot of wineries switched to reservations, and they really wanted to make sure that they were controlling not just the amount of people that were coming, but the amount of time they were spending with people. So I think we're seeing a lot of wineries embracing that. They would much prefer to be able to sit down and talk about their wine and talk about you know, the process that they go through for their individual winery with, with people on a one-on-one. And so we're, I think we're going to see them continue to embrace this, uh, this reservation system, which, by the way, works very well for visitors uh, as well, because you can plan a, a proper trip. There's a lot of wineries across BC, not just here in the Okanagan. So making sure that you've got your reservation and you're going to the wineries that you want to go to and spending that quality time is a win-win for everyone. Right. So you mentioned so last year's grape crop was good. The heat kind of intensified that flavor. But what's going on with this kind of spring that we've got right now? Is that, How can that be good for the grapes? Well, that's the concern. Um, and in fact, uh, probably the biggest impact for last year's crop in terms of the quantity wasn't the heat dome or anything like that. It was a frost event that we had uh, early in the growing season last spring. So we're watching this carefully. Um, but again, it happens, it needs to happen at a very specific time called bud break when, uh, when the buds start to come out. And if there's a frost event there, that, that can be a problem. So, uh, so far, so good. But again, it's mother nature and uh, she can throw a curveball uh, at any time. Wow, that's, that's what makes it so tough, right? And so challenging in the industry. So when you say 2021 was a great year, is that across all kind of vintages, all types of wine? Yeah, it really was. I think um, really where we're seeing a lot of it coming through is in the whites. Um, Basically, that's because the whites are what are bottled now. Um, The reds uh, are coming out of the fermentation tank, and depending on the winery and what their style is, they may go into a uh, barrel and spend a year there, or some may be bottled later in the fall. So the whites are looking really good. The reds uh, when they went into the tank, are looking great. So the, the jury will be really out when they come out of uh, the tank, out of the barrels into bottles. Um, but everything's looking great. And if, if there's any indication of the way the whites are, are shaping up, uh, again, it should be a stellar, a stellar vintage. And so, did sales stay up? I'm sure. I know people were buying a lot of booze during the pandemic. And how was that well, for BC wine? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, they were, um, but what we saw as it continued on, I mean, I don't think any of us uh, were expecting this to go as long as, long as, it, as it was, as long as it did. People started trading down uh, as people started buying cheaper wine. I mean, you go to any uh, liquor store across this province, you can see a lot of cheap, you know, uh, foreign uh, import wines there. And so people, as much as they wanted to support BC wine, I think after some time started looking trading down, as we call it, which is which is always a concern of ours. And again, we face that with the rising costs that us as producers are facing. The cost of bottles has gone up. The po- I mean, you, you, know, you know, everyone knows yes. that, that inflation is affecting it. And so we want to be careful how we pass, if at all, pass that along to consumers, those costs, because we know that relationship we've got with our customers is... Uh, is fragile. They want to support us, but we have to make sure we're we're going to be delivering uh, value to uh, to to the wines that we produce. Right. Well, we will spread the word, Miles. See what we can do about that. Thanks for joining well, us. 
I appreciate it. And a reminder, so the end of uh, April is BC Wine Month, so still some time to celebrate. So uh, enjoy and cheers. Okay, thank you so much. That's Miles Proudman, who's the CEO, of President of Wine Growers, British Columbia. 2021 VQA, he said, is a great year. So check that out. Support your local BC wines. This is Mornings with Simi. I am fascinated by this next story. It's about a UBC report that analyzed restaurant menus. Yes, restaurant menus. And they dug deep. They went on the internet, UBC archives, museum archives, and essentially they looked at menus from 1880 to 1960, 1961 to 1980, 81 to 96, and 2019 to 2021. That is a lot of historical information. So what were they doing with it? Well, they want to know what was being served. Let's find out why. Joining us now is Dr. William Chung, who's a professor and director at the Institute for the Oceans and Fisheries at UBC. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Good morning. What were you looking for doing all of this research, looking at restaurant menus? Why? We want to look at how and whether climate change is already affecting the restaurants in terms of the type of seafood they are serving to their customers. And that's why we want to look at uh, the seafood menu uh, as a source of information. And particularly, we want to look at also the the current menu and the historical menu to see whether there are changes in the seafood that are served and whether that's related to the changing ocean conditions and the climate change. Okay, so what did you find? Tell us about that. What we find is uh, really interesting. We find that uh, over uh, the, um, the, the period that we have a look at in our menus, uh, there is a increase in the amount of species that are preferred temperature for warmer waters uh, in the menu uh, nowadays compared to the past. And that increase is related to the increasing temperature of the oceans, as well as uh, the related changes in uh, the types of fish that uh, the fishermen are catching in BC waters. So as the catch changes, what becomes more viable for the people who fish, that is what we end up getting served at restaurants. Exactly. And one of the examples is uh, humble squid, for example. Uh, We know that uh, it hasn't been served uh, several decades ago. We couldn't find this species uh, noted in the menu before that. Uh, But uh, it becomes uh, increasingly popular in recent years. And one of the things that we know that as the oceans warm up, and particularly in recent years when the oceans become really warm, uh, humble squid expand their distributions uh, from the south in the U.S. Uh, to Canada, to BC waters. Uh, and that has been widely reported in, um, in the news or in scientific studies. And uh, it coincides with the time when we see um, the seafood uh, restaurant uh, starting to serve uh, humble squid in their menu. Interesting. So we're seeing more squid. Are we seeing less salmon? Yes, indeed. Uh, I think um, particularly, for example, that um, sockeye salmon um, is, uh, I mean, traditionally one of the uh, the important uh, seafood species um, in British Columbia, in Vancouver. Uh, but I think uh, there are already a lot of evidence that shows that sockeye salmon is not doing really well. Um, uh, in recent years, the population is low, um, catches are much lower compared to historical period. And that also affects uh, the um, at their occurrence uh, in terms of being served in seafood menu. So when you, you looked at some of the menus that went back 100 years, so what kind of seafood would have been on the menu 100 years ago or even in the 1960s? 
Yeah, so one one uh, seafood that uh, we also looked at is very uh, interesting is uh, sardine. So we find that um, like before the 1950s, uh, sardines uh, was common in seafood menu, but then um, it gradually decreased and almost disappeared in uh, recent days menu. Uh, and, and we know that um, during that time period, um, there's a collapse of the fisheries of sardine uh, because of various reasons, because of fishing, because of uh, some of the changes in the ocean conditions. Uh, and But one thing that we note from previous studies done by our group as well as by other colleagues that uh, sardine is actually a warm water preferred species. So some of our studies um, project that sardines uh, will become more abundant in BC waters. So I think uh, this is a species that we, we are watching out for to see whether um, the species will become more popular in the fisheries uh, and as a result, more popular in seafood menu, where uh, in which uh, we will be seeing more sardine being served um, in seafood restaurants. Wow. Okay. So, so that would be new, right? Well, a lot of us have gone generations without seeing sardines on the menu at a restaurant. So what else might we see in increasing numbers on restaurant menus? So in general, like a species that are uh, uh, preferring warmer temperatures, that some, some of them we are already serving um, or having in our seafood menus, like uh, for example, tuna. Uh, uh, we know that uh, with uh, warming oceans, uh, tuna is uh, expanding its range um, to pull us to the north, uh, and that is uh, it means that it, it is increasing in its abundance and potential um, catches uh, by our fisheries uh, in, in BC waters. Uh, so what it means is that uh, it, it may become more available. Um, to uh, restaurant um, chef and owners, so uh, they, 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 they may be uh, serving more uh, and, and becoming more common in menus. That is so interesting. So it sounds like we are, we're accustomed to making changes to our diet based on what is available or even what is sustainable. Indeed, uh, I think this is a, uh, a, a, a important and um, uh, questions uh, that we hope to answer next uh, is how these changes in seafood menu under climate change intersect with uh, the sustainability of the fish that we are eating. Uh, we know that uh, there is an increasing um, awareness and demand uh, for uh, consumptions of uh, sustainably sourced seafood, uh, but we also know that climate change is affecting the kind of species that are being served uh, by restaurants and that are available in our waters. So we want to see uh, whether they, uh, the two changes are complementary to one another or that they are uh, counteracting with one another. So that's something that we want to see is uh, whether climate change uh, would also affect uh, our uh, future uh, sustainability of seafood consumption. So interesting. Uh, Dr. Chung, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Thank you so, so much. That is Dr. William Chung, who's the professor and director at the Institute for the Oceans and Fisheries at UBC, talking about their fascinating report that the research team did there. And they were analyzing menus. Yes, restaurant menus. And they analyzed them everywhere from 1880, you know, up to 1996, and then 2019 to 2021. They also looked at something like 148 present-day menus in Anchorage, Alaska, and in Los Angeles, California, just to get an idea of what is being served on the menu versus what might have been served in decades past. And what they found is that, yes, these menus are definitely affected by what type of fish or seafood is considered to be sustainable at the time. The sardine example is such a perfect one, right? Sardines used to be way more common, and then they were not as widely available due to overfishing. And so, 
they were not on the menu anymore. When was the last time you went to a restaurant and saw sardines there? What we are seeing is more squid dishes on the menu, more Humboldt squid in particular, as opposed to, you know, more salmon dishes. Those are fewer in number uh, because of the availability and sustainability issues too. So interesting stuff there. I will definitely be thinking about that next time I examine a restaurant menu to see what kind of seafood offerings there are. If you want to weigh in, simi at cknw.com.